0: Welcome back. Another week, Cornhusker Connection. I'm Brandon Shanahan with Tyler Sprinkle and Brooke Byrne. As always, week zero. We got football going on this week. Um, I think out of just my therapist's recommendation, I'm not watching any week zero football after what happened last week, especially or after what happened last year in week zero, especially um, any games happening in Dublin. No, thank you. Uh, But we do, in fact, have college football this week. So that's pretty, pretty great news. And that means that at, at worst, we're a week away from getting real football.
1: Yeah. 10 days, 10, 11 days. That we're,
0: Thursday. we're getting started. I'm hyped. Um, but lots of good stuff going on right here on Cornel's Connection Network. So a lot of good content coming out this week. I'm going through conference by conference, breaking down each team schedule, predicting every game for every seat, for every team, for every conference. Um, so that starts, I'll come out today, all five power five conferences, then a special sixth championship edition where I talk about postseason, um, which I think is the best way to, to do it. Because I think a lot of people who do like full season predictions will look at a team like, well, they look like a 10 win team or, or they look like a, like a, uh, like a six win team and then make the numbers work from there. But there's so much context that, that goes into what, what happens in a college football season. Um, so lots of good stuff there um new show coming on the on the network here in a couple of weeks bookie Brook and the boys uh degenerate gambler brooke burn will, will take us through that journey win us some money lose us some money um i've also found my way on a craps tick tock which is giving me the itch get back to a casino so i'm juiced about that but lots of good stuff going on uh next week the season starts here for nebraska we're revamping our content We're essentially going to have like a post-game and a pre-game show, at least two shows a week, depending on on how much content we can put into those. Um, Obviously, the the pre-game show will start with uh, all things Huskers, breaking down that entire matchup. Essentially, the goal is to have that be your replacement. If, say, hypothetically, you don't want to watch Lee Corso at 97 years old play dress-up, we got you covered there. Then Monday, you can expect a a nice post-game reaction from us eating our feelings, talking about that, um, talking about all the bets that we lost thanks to Bookie Brook. So lots of good stuff going on. So two episodes a week there, an episode of Bookie Brook and the boys, plenty of content throughout the week on our YouTube channel. So you got plenty of us if you want us.
2: We're also going to have Brook teach me how to bet. So any new bettors out there, this will be your
0: spot. He's a good teacher. I I can attest to that. You know and another thing about sports books is I feel like they're they're getting getting cocky in the sense that I, I don't I feel like I was getting way better odds back when sports betting was illegal than now that it is legal. I feel like they're juicing the, the odds a bit. Have you notice that?
1: I mean there is a power struggle there, but at the same time all of them are greedy so on one side you may get a little bit of a better number than another. So, I guess, I mean, it depends how much you want to put into it. If you want to shop around and get the best number possible, you definitely can. Or if you have, like, one you like particularly, you know, it's the difference of, you know, a couple bucks or however much you're betting. It's not a huge difference, but
0: dollars add up, so. That that they do. So we got that going on. Got a QR code in the corner. Just figured out how to add that to the broadcast. We're really up in our our uh, our production value here. I got the Cornhusker Connection logo in the corner there. So we we're, we're looking like a like a real operation here. Tyler finally got an upgraded camera, so he can see his beautiful mug. I mean, lots of good stuff going on. First thing I wanted to get to, and something that I've been meaning to 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 bring up since since we are all Omaha raised fellas. Um, But I keep forgetting, uh, shout out to Bud Crawford. How fantastic was that fight against Errol Spence Jr.? I mean, absolutely historic stuff going on, and he's just, he's never been afraid to to rep the 402, which is electric. That was the first fight in a while that I was truly nervous for going into it. And
1: if you know anything about Bud and how he fights, he normally starts really slow. So when he started um, landing some shots in the second round, it was like, we knew it was over. It so. was
0: over. Well, first of all, I thought it was over as soon as he walked out with Eminem. <laughs> yeah, like, that I, that's a wrap.
1: Yeah, it was electric.
2: It was a, a crazy experience going to watch parties. You know, everybody's always, it's nice that to have everybody just rooting for the same guy. Like, there's nobody in yeah. the corner, like, oh, no, fuck no. It's Brad Crawford, or Die here in the 402. <laughs>
0: yeah. So, so I'm stuck here in Dallas, and I was – well, first of all, uh, option A was, well, how do I get to Vegas? How much are tickets? Out Okay, I'm not going to Vegas. Um, and Then I, I couldn't get, get up to Omaha to watch it, and there's a sports bar-themed bar right down the road from my house that's like specific boxing. Like I remember we went down there to watch the, the Florida State LSU game last year, and they turned it off in the third quarter for, for a pay-per-view boxing match. Just to show you, like that, the energy in this in this bar. And I was like, oh, well, that's perfect. I'll just go there. And then I remember that Errol Spence Jr. is also from Dallas. I was, so I, I, yeah, I, was I don't also think that's the spot Dallas for, me. for that fight. It was, yeah. mean, I mean, because, and, and, and the final straw to like just getting on pay per view at home is if, if I was an Errol Spence Jr. fan and I was as juiced about him as we are about Crawford. And I saw him get his fucking teeth kicked in, like he did. And then you have little old me chirping everybody at the bar. <laughs> I, I mean, I would not be a good time. I was like, I don't want to dampen anybody's heartbreak even more. i will just celebrate from the confines of my own home. Definitely with
1: combat sports, you have to watch. You know, getting a little too excited. Um, I was down in Dallas for that too, with a bunch of Omaha guys, and we ended up watching it at an. Airbnb.
0: It's probably a very pro Earl Spence crowd anywhere yeah. go. So, and uh, Showtime has like like their Inside Access show that I've been binge watching just for, for this fight. And they released about a week ago, like the uh, the final episode of this fight, like on, on fight night, and it was so funny to see all the uh, the Cowboys players that that were back in Spence Jr. because they were because there's always that shot in the Cowboys postseason game that they end up losing, where it's like uh, it, it goes to a Cowboys fan in the crowd, and they look equally disappointed and equally in disbelief. And so it was so fun and refreshing to see that same shot with that same expression and emotions, except now it's Micah Parsons. So I thought that was fabulous.
2: Yeah. Football season comes early for uh, the – combo
0: haters absolutely but just what what a historic historic night first fighter to ever hold four belts in two different weight classes first ever undisputed champ in the welterweight division and just an absolute dog in they're not competitive at all and errol spence was a top five pound for pound fighter coming into that top three in some publications and just not playing the same same game
1: and it was like everywhere i was looking uh, for predictions on that fight, I saw Tank Davis on a podcast go, I have Earl Spence by knockout. He goes, Bud can't take a punch. Uh, Spence knows what he's doing. He's a better fighter. And a lot of people are thinking this. I mean, maybe it'll be closer than I think. And, man, were a lot of people wrong. That I mean, sense.
0: I was wrong. I was expecting it to be way closer than, than it was. But holy smokes, dude. It wasn't close. Yeah. And then oh. in the middle of the fight, I don't know if a lot of people caught this, but
1: to look out at uh, Charlo and say, you're next. that was, Oh, dude. That was, that got me hyped.
0: And now he's calling him out on Instagram. Did you see that? Yeah. He, oh, dude, electric. I mean, if you're him, there's nobody that scares you now, I don't think. No. So. <laughs> well, and, and I mean, you, you got to think like, if you're as big of a competitor as Crawford is, you got to go up and and, and try to get one of these these bigger guys now because there's no way you can step into a fight with another welterweight after tearing down Spence like he did. He's been trying. He's been trying for a long time. Nobody will fight him. I think Charlo, they were talking
1: about him going up to either 154 or 160
0: and fighting him there. So I think the plan is for him to go up a little bit. I think so. I think so. Yeah, there's that uh, that rematch clause that, that Spence could trigger, but that would also probably be at 154 anyways. Yeah. But and then yeah, if it's not that, I mean, if he's just collecting belts, all the belts, all the weight classes, we 47 years old fighting for the world heavyweight championship of the world. I can't wait. It's gonna um, be a blast. So great stuff from Crawford. I mean, it's. I, I've never been a boxing fan, but I mean, seeing, seeing the Omaha fella just tear it up is just, it, it brings a tear to my eye. It's so special. Yeah, great way to represent. And then other media going on, the Johnny Manziel docked out. I had a blast watching. He's probably my favorite football player of all time that I've gotten to watch. Just electric on the field. Somehow seems like he's, it was even more dysfunctional than was let on which is insane to think about. But what did you guys think? So, Tyler and I were talking.
1: I actually watched it for the second time with him. It's crazy. Two things that stuck out to me. It's crazy how Sumlin and Kingsbury let that kid do whatever he wanted to do whenever he wanted to do it with no control it'll over him us. whatsoever. It'll and it'll then the second thing what that stuck out to me was – that the 19-year-old kid, his, like, business manager, air quotes, started the rumor about his family having oil money, and the media just ran with it without, like, fact-checking it. And when you tie that in with the whole Manti Teo situation that happened in the same time frame, it's like, what were media personnel back then doing? Like, not fact-checking anything. anything. (laughs) I I think it was... I think it was more
2: of, yeah, you know, that's a believable enough story. This kid is crazy good. Let's just not look
0: too far into it. I think. But I also feel like it's a very easy thing to fact check. Yeah, especially the the the, the oil money. Like he, just that's very Google specific. It, yeah, like all it would See? take to find out is like, is anyone in his family have ties to oil? Yeah. And- yeah, I don't think like, they did. So. Two seconds on LinkedIn will get you all the answers that you need. The Manta <laughs> Teo, Teo thing would be, a, I think that would be a bit more challenging to, to properly vet. Well, not Te- really. Yeah, I mean, not really. <laughs> not name. Like you could easily find an
1: obituary somewhere. So. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's uh, the first thing I thought. Of. Like, the obituaries are pretty easy to find. Yeah. I find not- them by accident when I'm Google searching <laughs> myself. That's uh, a problem. I, I was like, oh, did I die? Oh, okay. No, 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 no. This guy, it's, it's a different brand, Shanahan. Whoops. But that'll get you, get, get the adrenaline going a little bit. But, yeah, I mean, I can't believe how unhinged it was just seeing, well, like you said, seeing the coaches just let him run wild. But also, like, what do you do? He's that transcendent well, type of a football player. Like, he can't. No.
1: Tyler pointed it out to me. It was like his dad on the doc said, You send your kid to a university, and it's their job, which is such a cop out. Such a cop out. You're still his parents, so (laughs) yeah, can't control him at all times when he's in a different city. But the fact that there was just no one, like, watching over this kid or what he did is just. And I mean, he had the weight of a university in a town on his shoulders, and you know, telling, giving him stuff, and letting him do whatever he wanted, and. It was just tough to
0: watch. for it that. It's also insane to me that he only got suspended for 30 minutes of football. Like, they, like, if you want to talk about people not vetting for their job, how did the NCAA let this happen?
2: Again, I don't think they cared. Like they, I think they only cared because other people started bringing it up. They're like, oh, well, we investigated it and didn't
1: really find too much wrong because he's, like, the current face of college football. I don't know if it was they didn't care as much as there was a lot they couldn't prove because there was no like like he said he had a hundred thousand dollars stuffed into his mattress it wasn't like this money was all in a bank somewhere that yeah there was no, no paper trail there was no paper trail and like people had pictures of him signing autographs but like they said in the doc it's not illegal to do that like they just they literally could not get any like hard evidence against him and it felt like. Suspending him for half a game was like their way of saying like, we know you're doing something wrong here, but we can't necessarily prove it. So, Well,
0: and I thought this at the time, it, it's crazy that like you can, you, you say that you can prove that he violated rules, but if these rules are, are the same, then it's it's got to be way more than 30 minutes of, of week zero football.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: Like, like even though Ohio State fellas, well with the Jim Trestle era, I mean, those guys got, I got, got the hammer laid on them so it's like is uh, it was johnny just that was he just able to skirt past the ncaa and just sheer incompetence on their end or like did these guys in ohio state just not try to cover their tracks whatsoever
1: and a lot of it was probably that where you know they were buying stuff that you know a normal 19 poor 19 year old kid who's poor shouldn't like they had stuff that they shouldn't have had Whereas Johnny was literally just using that money to party. And, you know, once he started traveling, I thought it was weird. But I think it all comes back to that his family was wealthy defense. So they're like, oh, if his family's wealthy and he's doing all this, you know, it's like it's probably fine. He's probably not doing anything wrong. Like where you had courtside seats to NBA games and it's like two of those seats are 30 plus thousand dollars. The Super Bowl, 50 yard (laughs) line. (laughs) Yeah. Like that's what's crazy to me is. Like, there were definitely signs of them doing stuff wrong there. So the fact that they couldn't prove it is either they're bad at their job or Johnny Manziel and company were just great liars. Yeah, and I,
2: I was thinking during, like, the documentary, I was like, damn, I don't remember, like, half this shit that happened. Like, that happened when we were in high school. Like, I, I, and I still don't really remember everything that went on, which is crazy to me. Like, I, was, I don't even remember that happening.
1: I remember some of it, but not like to the extent that they laid out in the doc. Like, yeah.
0: Well, yeah. And, and I remember some of the stuff about, like the like him getting kicked out of the, the Manning Passing Academy and and, and all these like uh, weird or, or not weird. Uh, they're very accurate and telling allegations and, and stuff. But, yeah, the, the documentary just exposed so much more than what, what was led on, which is insane because I remember thinking at the time, like, it's out of control. Like, yeah. He just won the Heisman Trophy. Now he can't stay as a as a coach at a passing camp. Yeah, uh,
1: it's it was tough to watch because you could see him going off the rails that entire time. But at the same time, you give a 19 year old kid a bunch of money, a Heisman Trophy, a town that'll let him do whatever he wants, a coaching staff that'll let him do whatever he wants. Enablers, yeah. yeah
0: it's like you could almost see it coming where he was just going to get spiral out of control. Certainly the, the signs were reporting towards destruction where, where it ended up going. But the interesting thing is like, what if he pulls it off? Like what if he's just so generationally talented that he can watch 0.0 hours of film outside the facility and party on, on, on Saturday night in Vegas and fly back into Cleveland for a football game in Sunday and tear up defenses like it. What if he does, mm-hmm. he's just such a different breed of, of quarterback that we, we didn't see ever. That was so entertaining. What if he does it? And here's the thing about that is
1: people forget how bad the Browns were back then. So like his flaws obviously got shined through more than if like he had a good team around him where like, the Browns were in some of those games that he played in. If they had like any semblance of a roster around them, where it might've lasted for a little bit longer, but like you said, like it's, there was, there was no shot. He was going to last him league doing what he did. But, oh, but the how, was bad, so.
0: yeah, I mean, that, well, that's a tough spot for him to end up at just with, uh, I, it's just that whole organization. It, it feels like a match made in heaven to be honest, with the the amount of self sabotage going on. But man, how fun would it have been if you would have pulled it off? If it would have I know, just I fun. know,
1: Jerry Jones is sitting there at sixteen, itching to take him. Do you it's think that they took a Hall of Fame offensive lineman? Which good on them.
0: I mean, yeah. Well, of course, be because everybody else in the room was like, "No, Jerry, we're not drafting Johnny <laughs> Manziel, you old crazy kook." Yeah. Do you think that things would have been I, – I can't imagine things would have been different if, if no. he had ended up in Dallas. Probably I worse. Think, I but. think
2: if he just tried even a little bit, I think it would have been a like better. I think so. Because I do think that he's a talented fella. I just – you got to try – like it's a different beast coming to the NFL. Like it's not other 18, 19, 20-year-olds that you're playing yeah. against. The yeah, other grown men that have been doing this for a long time for a lot of them. It's not the same.
0: Yeah, and, and that's the, the, the magic question, I, I think, with the whole Johnny Manziel era is how close was he to really being like, a functional NFL quarterback? Like, because obviously if, if he had, like, dove in and, and dedicated, like, a lot of these uh, top top guys like Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, just really became a, a, a student to, uh, of the game and put in all that extra work, I, I think... It's pretty clear that he would have been just, just fine and really good. But, like, that's not him. That's clearly not him. So, like, where is where does that line? Like, how much – like, if you'd watched, like, a little bit of film or I just didn't go to Vegas all the time during the season, does he get – is he competent then? Like, what, what what does that line look like?
1: Well, playing in the NFL is so demanding as far as time constraints – like he was had to have been spending twelve hours a day, you know, at the Brown facility, and then wanting to go party at night. So, in my mind, I feel like he was probably, as a human being, just after partying so much and being on the go with all that stuff, just run down, where he probably just tired and yeah, you know, like you said, he lost his love for the game and wanted to do it. And mm-hmm. if you don't love that shit, then it was never going to work some yeah, yeah, I'm going to
2: and- say he had no chance. I'm going to say he had no chance to be one of my greats. Because the reason that these guys are so great is because they put in the time and he's not willing to do so then I'm going to say absolutely no shot. Johnny Manziel is ass, and we're going to move on.
0: Well sure. um, Well, let me re- rephrase, Tyler. What if – okay, so obviously Johnny, as his college career played out, was burnt out. And was had no chance of 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 becoming a competent NFL quarterback. What if he had just had like one positive influence during his time at Texas A&M, or what has to change during college to hold him accountable enough to where he does put in some put in extra work at some point or focuses on football in some way, shape, or form? Like, what does that look like? What how how close was his college career? from staying on the rails and keeping he, him on, on a track to be an NFL quarterback? He would have
2: had to go to a different school. I think if he ends up at Texas, um, I think his career is way different. Maybe it's not even as good, but he's at least maybe still playing. I mean, maybe not as good as he was in college, but I think he'd still be playing because he has that discipline. Um, just, I just, I keep going back to thinking about the staff that he had at Texas A&M and just how much they were enabling him. Like Cliff Kingsbury was giggling. Like, oh yeah, we just let him do whatever the hell he wanted. And you know, as long as he shows up on Saturday, like, okay. Yeah, this is funny. Helped a man that could have been awesome at football. Just pretty much ruined his life. And that's not all Cliff Kingsbury's fault because obviously Johnny Menzel did it. But as a young man, Handling fame is probably not easy. Cliff Kingsbury and uh, Sullivan, so, what's it, Sumner.
0: Um, Sullivan. Sullivan. Yeah, Sullivan. Did not. Uh, did not help. Yeah. No all. accountability. Yeah, and that's and that's. I, I feel like just hearing those guys talk about Johnny, and we heard more from Cliff Kingsbury in the documentary. It seems like they kind of just fell ass backwards into having this crazy talented quarterback. Right, we don't want to get in the way of this. We have jobs on the line. We have our own mouths to feed. You know, we got all this pressure going to the SEC. Yeah, let him do whatever he wants. This is the edge, but no no accountability, which is And that's what I would
1: say about it, where it felt like those coaches put wins and their job security ahead of, uh, like, laying down the law for Johnny. Because to what Tyler said, if he goes to a different school, like Texas, who's a little more established, or maybe not even Texas, like, With a coaching staff that's more established and Mm -hmm. firm on the rules, maybe he sits out a year, maybe he redshirts that year and grows up and learns how to do things the right way before he gets on the field. Then that talk about him being a good NFL quarterback gets interesting. But it was very telling that Sumlin wasn't on that documentary a whole lot
0: because it felt like there was some stuff getting swept under the road. For sure. Well, perfect. Uh, I mean, like I said, Johnny Manziel is probably the favorite, my favorite college football player I've ever seen. Uh, just such an electric football player. Wish it would have worked out in the NFL, but it is what it is. It seems like he's doing better now, maybe. So that's good. So back to college football and college football that's happening now, not 10 years ago. The latest thing that, that I, I saw on Twitter going around as far as like changes in college football and realignments, um, I, I've seen a couple of um, relegation systems thrown out there where, like, obviously the networks only want the, the big brands and are only focused on kind of conglomerating these giant national brands into one super conference. And then a lot of these smaller schools are, are, are getting left out. So relegation seems like kind of a. Uh, and an, an there's an opportunity for it in, in the same way that, you know, well, if you earn your way into to, to the top league, then, you know, there's an opportunity for you. Uh, but so I came up with my own relegation theory here. So Commissioner oh. Shanahan, they, they, they didn't like my, my, my first theory of, of conference realignment and, and all that. So I put together a, a relegation theory. Uh, slideshow here. Very in-depth and I, I think if there there's certain things that have to go right with relegation if it's going to be um be, be applicable and, and be successful. Um, real quick, have you guys seen a, anything about relegation and, and could it work in college football? I haven't seen too much about it yet. I, I get the thought process of it like
1: Trev Alberts was allu- alluding to with the uh, top 35 to 40 brands you know, kind of forming their own super league if you will but other than that I don't know a ton about it yet yeah and I haven't heard anything about it either
0: yeah I mean uh, I think it was Saturday night I didn't get any sleep out I was just thinking about this and and then the first challenge to making that work is how do you structure the conferences so here's how how I did it and and the numbers are, are kind of fudgy here but uh four regional conferences, East, West, South, Midwest, and North. Um, 10 in the promoted division, 25 in the relegated division. So you get 10 basically 40 teams to 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 the power of college football programs, um, based on, on recent success. And so here's how I kind of have it broken down. Like I said, the numbers don't really add up now because there's not enough football teams in FBS. So we're probably going to have to upgrade some teams from, from the FCS. The Dakotas are, are, are probably one of the first place I'm mining. Um, we have some, some room out West for, for some of those schools in California to kind of jump on, but I kind of wanted to separate it by recruiting hub. So we obviously got California and Arizona out West. I wanted a, a, a conference that can really um, kind of focus in on recruiting Texas and Louisiana, then down South with Florida, Alabama, Georgia, um, and then up north, uh, getting all the Michigan and Ohio recruits, uh, and close enough to the other hubs down south, and you know Texas to kind of fill in fill in the gaps there. It's tricky because it, it it it's a lot of weird matchups here uh, with a lot of the Big Twelve, and then LSU, and then Arkansas, and then Iowa, and then SEC gets split up a little bit there. Um, a lot of the PAC 12 teams out West, but this is how I, I kind of structured it. I want it to be as region as possible, regional as possible, because that's to me a lot more objective. You, you kind of don't have to, to, to pick apart a lot, which I feel like this is going to be the trickiest thing is how do we get this started? Um, and from there, uh, the, the regular season is kind of how, how things get underway. So here's how I broke down like the four conferences on, who based on recent success would be the first up in these 10, in these four conferences, Uh, you get 10 games in the regular season, one predetermined non-conference game, nine conference games. And similar to my last idea, you get a predetermined game based on where you finished the previous season. So first place in the West plays first team in the South, third place plays third place. And then they rotate conferences on, on a yearly basis. But I'm really excited about this one because with only nine, conference games to go off of every game matters so much and i think that's the real value and in, in relegation is that from all 40 of these teams every single week feels like a must win and every game has so much weight to it and i think that's the, the, the value in this system so I have a couple of thoughts yeah
2: um and maybe you get into this a little bit more But when you first brought that idea up, I was thinking, so this is the issue with my thought is you have to say, okay, the SEC is number one, Big Ten is number two, um, Pac-12 is number three, things like that. But then the bottom two and the SEC gets moved to the Pac-10 or the the Big Ten and the bottom two and the Big Ten gets moved to Pac-12 and do it that way. Um, but again, you'd have to find a way to order all of these conferences and which one is going to be number one number two, number three. So that's what my thought was when you initially brought this up.
0: Well, and in, in, the, in the, the, the premier league is and in, in European soccer is kind of where, where relegation is, is thriving the most. And, and there, you, there's like 10 different leagues that you promote uh, up into um, for, for, from year to year. And I, I, it just seems very messy and it seems like a lot of good teams can get lost on the fold and, and kind of stuck there for a while Or like if you're four leagues down, you have to win championships, three consecutive seasons just to make it to where you're, you're competing at the top level. So it, it feels like that the, the gap in college football can get really extended really quickly. And I can kind of to where I think that we're heading now is a college football infrastructure where you're just losing so many good brands because they're not of national prominence and they're not fitting the the mold for these major networks where I feel like this on, and we'll talk more about relegation and promotion here shortly, but it gives every team an opportunity every season to, at least within a two year cycle, accomplish anything that they could possibly imagine.
1: Yeah. I think that makes sense. I think it's just tougher for the smaller schools with limited resources and money at their disposal to be relevant. And I guess that's a part of it. You know, it is what it is. But, for example, this year, Tulane has a lot coming back from a team that won, uh, what was it, a New Year's Six game? I forget. USC? Yep, in Cotton Bowl. In the Cotton Bowl, yeah. And they're going to be good again this year. But how long does their program and situation allow them to stay relevant? I don't know. It's a lot to think about, but I think about the smaller schools kind of getting lost in the shuffle. And I think that's what makes college football great is you see teams like Georgia Southern jumping up and biting schools like Nebraska every once in a while. And, that's what I like seeing because there's just the unpredictability of it.
0: Absolutely. And and, and this isn't the, – there's going to be a lot of financial benefit for the teams at the very top uh, of the echelon of college football. And, and we'll talk numbers here shortly and just how crazy those numbers can get just on current configurations. But I also wanted to make sure that it's very um, accessible for the smaller schools to not only get – and I think they get more money now. I, I'm not too familiar with what – Kind of money they're bringing in TV wise now, but they're going to be in pretty good shapes. And at any given year, they can get promoted, and then all of a sudden, their money more than doubles on a year to year basis. And, and I added some guardrails to kind of keep them from just being one and done. So, so, so we'll get into that here as well. But I definitely had a lot of the the little schools in mind, and I think that's why this system it is, is tricky because it would be easy for a lot of those smaller schools to. To get left in the dust here, but for those relegated conferences or for the relegated division within the conferences, their whole objective is to win the conference. So they get twelve games, all conference games. They uh, a lot of other leagues will do like like you get the Premier League, and then you get the the League One, and you want to win the League One Championship, where you beat all. I I don't care about that. I care about giving all of these twenty five teams an opportunity to to get promoted. And I think that the clearest way for that is to be in theory, the, the 10th or the 11th best team in the conference. So then you get teams like Tulane here. They have an opportunity this year in this setup, um, to, to, to beat up on, on some of these lower brands and get some momentum. Um, and then they, they, they make the conference playoffs there. Now the postseason is, um, uh, is the next step here since they only get 10 regular season games. It gives us a lot of flexibility to add more postseason games, which I think makes college football better. So the top four teams in each conference will play a single elimination playoff for the conference championship game. And then the winner of each conference will advance to the national playoff. And then that's how we crown a national champion. Uh, And we'll get into that here shortly, but in this Midwest division, just picking those four teams because they're next to each other. Um, they qualify for the, the the conference championship. They play each other, so on and so forth. And they're incentivized financially to to make this round in the playoffs, um, as we'll get, get into later with, with uh, revenue disbursement. And same thing for uh, the lower, the relegated division. So you get the, the top four teams. They play a fourteen playoff winner of the con- winner of this tournament wins the, the the division and that's uh where we get into relegation and promotion so after the four we we determine the four conference champion um qualifiers and then the bottom two teams play one game winner takes all winner stays uh in in promote in the promoted league the loser drops down to um the relegation and so it's the two lowest ranked eligible teams for promotion and i i throw in that caveat because i also have it stated that if you qualify for the conference championship tournament like these four teams do then the next season or no if you qualify if you make the conference championship then you are um, ineligible for relegation the next year so if you're like a middle of the road team um kind of in this this average tier here they don't want to reward mediocrity by any means. But if one of these teams pops off one year, makes the, the, the playoffs, makes the conference championship, they now know, okay, well, now we have at least another year if we need to replace a quarterback or a coach. We, we have some time before you know things could, could get bad. And then the loser of, of that game gets gets relegated. And then promotion, same kind of thing. So the winner of the uh, lower division now gets promoted. So let's say Iowa State wins that 14 playoff with AM, Purdue, and Nebraska. They are elevated and then Arkansas loses. So they are demoted. And I like this system because it puts a lot of pressure on these four on these four teams here. Because let's say that Arkansas and Iowa finish last place in the standings, but uh Iowa was in the conference championship game a year ago. Now all of a sudden Oklahoma's in the in, in the relegation game. Or let's say Oklahoma was also in the conference championship game last year. Well, now Texas is going from maybe a game or two away from making the, the playoffs to now possibly fighting for their for, for, for their spot in the promoted league. So that kind of uh gives some some, some pressure to to those middling teams. And then you're also ineligible for relegation your first year after promotion. So Iowa state wins that relegated division. They get at least two full seasons in the, the promoted team to collect that revenue to kind of cash in on that momentum. And if they do have a year like Tulane had this year where they pop off and they have a great team. um, Now all of a sudden they secure their future for the next two years. So it gives them an opportunity, not just to, to get promoted and kind of collected this revenue and prominence, but also hopefully giving them an opportunity to stay there.
1: And my only question with that is with the age of the transfer portal and being able to move schools willy-nilly is kind of like the Joe Burrow LSU team. Say LSU's in that middle-tier system like I would say it was in before they won. What if they are the best? I guess it just leaves the door open. What if we're missing out on the best team that year not being in the highest league because teams before them were not as good? as my own thought, especially with kids being able to leave whenever they want to go to new school?
0: I think you I certainly think risk you- that. You know, it's, it, it's never... Never possible to, or never possible to in this kind of system to give everybody a chance to win a national championship on, on a year to year basis. Um, I, I would say to combat that, I think even that first year with Joe Burrow, if they were in like the, the relegated division, you know, you hope that they give that he gives them an opportunity to get promoted. And then even if that second year where he pops off, wins the Heisman Trophy, he's the best player in the country. You know, even if they can't win a national championship and cash in on that, even if they get promoted, that's still possibly a, a program-changing event where you have an opportunity to to build, and and yeah, they, they don't have the, the prominence of winning a national championship in that scenario, but he still leaves the program way better off than when he found it. That's a good point. Dude,
1: your brain is crazy.
0: Oh, I mean, you, I, you think this is crazy. <laughs> I, I break down all the revenue sharing. We're just getting started. Oh, my this is, God. I mean, this is yeah.
2: nuts.
0: Yeah, strap in. So the financial <laughs> split. So the TV revenue is pulled in um, before the season. So you take this big pile of money, and then right away you split it into 90%. So you get 10%. You put that away for later. You got 90% here. You get 45% to each division. So you get 45% of it to... The, uh, the promoted division, 45% to the relegated division. The payout up here is bigger because there's less mouths to feed, less ways to split it. So that's what, where that becomes more profitable. And then 5% of the 10% that we saved earlier is divided between the four schools who qualify for the conference championship tournaments So you get a bonus just for being in the top four of the promoted division. Uh, and then the other 5%... After that is then split upon the pull together and split up. So two and a half percent of the total revenue goes to each team who qualifies for the promoted division the next season. I wanted to include this because I also wanted to incentivize, give a bonus to the promoted team who didn't collect the. Uh, big revenue share last year. So they get a couple extra million dollars here to help get their new, new life in the promoted division started. And then the final two and a half percent will be pulled up and paid out to the teams who qualify for the national playoff. So you get a bonus for winning your conference. In addition to the bonus that you got for qualifying, Uh, then you get a bonus for each victory after that. So hypothetically, what does that look like? We're talking about percentages and pie and money. So, The big 10 deal, the new big 10 deal gives out a $1.1 billion per year. And that's just for the big 10. So I believe that all the other teams could scrounge up another $2.9 billion. So each conference gets a share share of that. that. They get get $1 billion billion each each of the TV TV deal. deal. Hold on. Hold on here. So they get get, uh, $1 billion. That's what we're starting off with. $1 $1 billion, like I said, it splits off 90%, 45% for each division. So that comes out to $45 million per team in the promoted division. So right about where a lot of these teams are averaging payouts now, just to just for qualifying for for this promoted division. And then the relegated division gets about $18 million per team. And then that, like I said, that 5% splits upon the playoff teams in the conference. So if you qualify for your conference championship tournament you get another $12.5 million. All of a sudden, that $45 million turns into $57 million. That's not a bad payday. Uh, Then that other 2.5% that I want to give as a bonus to each conference team for the next year, every team who qualifies for the promoted division next year gets $2.5 million. So on top of whatever money you collected earlier, you also have some money now in your pocket to, to go and spring off operation going towards the next year. Uh, Then we have two and a half percent remaining for each conference. So $25 million of the initial revenue share, all four conferences pulled together that final $25 million. And we have a bonus pool of a hundred million dollars to split upon these four teams. So in that regard, each qualifying team, each conference champion team gets $10 million just for winning their conference. And then the winner of the semifinal games, when it's a $20 million payout, and then the winner of the national championship game gets another $20 million. So what does that look like? So the national champion will get take home $110 million. So mighty big incentive to, to be the best team in the country. The runner-up gets $90 million. Semi-final losers get $70 million. Two through four in the conference get $60 million. Non-relegated conference teams um, so nine teams in the in the promoted division will get forty-seven and a half million dollars. The relegated conference champion or the conference team gets forty-five million dollars. The promoted conference team uh, and the relegated division champion gets twenty million dollars per year. And then the non-promoted teams um, in the relegated division get eighteen million dollars. How does that sound, fellas? It's a pretty, it's a pretty specific breakdown. I like it.
2: Um, I would say to anybody listening, just please watch the YouTube
0: because. I mean, you got to. There's no way to follow along with yeah, all that I rambling.
2: Mean, Brandon has a very in-depth slideshow. If you're lost, like me, just
1: I would do that because my goodness. I'm a visual That's learner too, so I can only imagine if you're not watching with these visual aids, is.
0: I mean, it's just Stop me it. spitting out rap god numbers. Just yeah.
1: okay, so I have
2: something here right so last year Alabama football brought in 130 almost 131 million dollars last year
0: where does so, that money come from
2: uh, just the revenue for the football team I'm not sure
0: exactly I don't have the breakdown in front of me um, I can look for that so and, and so this these figures that we have in front of us here this is just TV revenue so it doesn't uh, include like ticket sales merch so there's obviously opportunity to make more than, you know, what's stated here, but as far as just dishing out TV gotcha. money that, you know, in theory, all the college football teams would bring into the table. Uh, this is what, what would that pie gets split up into?
2: That makes sense.
0: So okay. instead of the, the, the big 10 conference teams getting $70 million a year and the, the big 12 teams getting $30 million a year, it, it kind of, Div- divvies out that money a little bit more evenly. And then if you're a network paying the, the, these big these big dollars for, for teams, you're, you're getting the best of the best. You're getting the biggest brands are always going to rise to the top. Uh, that's how it's always been. That's how it always will be. Um, and then if nothing else, you're going to fall back to the best football teams. So we're going to give you the best product. So I, th- sure. it doesn't seem like there's much of a downside from a network perspective as far as, Blindly given the, the Commissioner Shanahan's uh, organization a billion dollars uh, to, to broadcast their games, as opposed to picking and choosing which conference you get and which games or so on and so forth.
2: My only thing um, is like these teams are just going to be top loaded. right the, the top teams are always going to get the best recruits, you know, because why would anybody go anywhere else? These teams are going to stay on top for a long time because right now the way that it is, there's a chance I mean albeit a small chance for a lot of the teams, but there's always a chance for them to make some waves and like last year TCU made its national championship game like it's a good idea in theory um, there's just a lot more I think that goes into college football as and- whole
1: and keeping it competitive league-wide rather than, you know, having to worry about relegation and stuff. And this is just, like, for the TV money breakdown. Like, obviously, there's still revenue, like, you know, selling out your stadium or, like, merchandise. I'm sure that goes into it. I don't know. Um, This is just a breakdown of the TV money, correct? What you would receive? Yeah. Yeah. Plus, um, all the teams that, are
2: already massively in debt. Like then they're just pretty much dead.
0: Oh, they better get to get to fucking practice then. I guess.
1: I feel like this would
0: really force universities
1: to take a good hard look at like the coaches they're hiring and experienced program builders and coaches that can keep you at that upper echelon would, um, being like a way higher demand like not even yeah. necessarily like the nick sabans and the Kirby smarts of the world i'm thinking more of like the kirk ferentz um the Bo Pellini's, the guys that just win eight nine games every year just crank them um, out
0: yeah because you can't get that wrong because i i don't know if you guys noticed it when i was speeding through this powerpoint presentation nebraska is not in the promoted division no yeah, yeah. Uh, they they botched a couple of coaching hires and now they have to, exactly. facing eighteen million dollars a year in revenue and they're they're fighting to get back. So you can't can't get that wrong. Yeah.
1: I feel like coaches would love this because if you could prove that you could win eight nine year eight nine games a year and stay in that top top conference, mm-hmm. like you would have the ultimate job security. Yeah, and I think that they would
2: be talking a whole lot differently about Ryan Day. Than they are now. Yeah. Oh, without a doubt. Oh, you
1: can't, well, can't win the big one. can not the big one. Well, <laughs> he's keeping you. Well, right where you are. Lucked into just a great situation. So. they're, yeah, still they're
0: there. Yeah. They're,
1: they're still think, there. That's
0: there's something to be said about that. Yeah, Jim Harbaugh put it. He well, was. Some of us aren't born on third base. Yeah, I think. Well, he, I think that was very accurate. Just because yeah. he it takes, it's still, on third base.
2: Yeah, there's it still a takes a lot to to stay there, though. I think.
0: For sure. For sure. But yeah, I, I mean, that's the, the stakes The there is an opportunity because nobody knows how this would actually play out in reality. I think one of the unintended consequences with the team college uh, football playoff is that the, the, there's just such a, a regularity in teams now who are good enough to make it on a year to year basis that the gaps gotten so big between second place team in the Big Ten and a third place team in the Big Ten. And I think we're getting that way in the SEC. The Pac-12 and Big 12 aren't like that. That's why they're my favorite conferences. But and and this could absolutely happen because if if you're giving one team 110 million dollars, and teams in that same conference are getting 45 million dollars a year, that could absolutely create a a gap that's that's really hard to overcome. But then, like Tyler pointed out, a team like TCU this year who just has this random collection of of developed NFL talent and, and a new offensive coach who can win close games and, and gets them there. Uh, All of a sudden they're cashing a $90 million check and they're in such a better spot than they were a year ago. So it's it in in the, in the brightest timeline, it opens up that opportunity more often than, than than it closes it. But that's certainly one of the the risks of a system like this, where you're disparaging funds, so disproportionately to success also real quick while we're talking about
1: it i didn't even think about this aspect when you are in that top conference there aren't like cakewalks anymore like you're not playing unlv colorado state so i feel like it would weed out the coaches you know that aren't you know great so like we really would find out if Ryan Day and Kirk fans are good because a lot of those like eight, nine win seasons and are you know they're beating up on the Indianas, the mm-hmm. Rutgers of the world. and I guess we would find out who
0: can really coach against
1: top talent consistently.
0: Yeah, because I mean, if you look at this conference, these are your nine conference opponents if you're in any one of these teams. And you also know that every single week, the, the the weight of the your entire program could be in the balance, especially if you're, you're a middling team like like in this graphic. That there's no real characterization to, to this graphic, but if you're Texas Tech in Texas, you know you go into to, to week uh, to week ten, and you're sitting where you're sitting. Uh, a loss could put you in a horrible spot. Or if you're Oklahoma State and Texas, uh, you're just one win away from another $12 million check and then an opportunity to compete for a, a conference championship and everything's in your hands. So there's no voting system. There's no uh, committee pit, pit picking your, your fate. It's all in your hands, which I, I think at the end of the day is good. But yeah, like you said, every game matters so much and you're playing great competition who's also desperate on a week in week out basis.
2: Yeah, I think this would be great for the fan, Um, but I don't see this statistically happening because of the teams that are getting all this money. Like, yeah, there's a chance that you make more, but there's more of a chance to not. So I doubt that any team would willingly let this happen. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of teams would willingly let this happen.
0: For sure. And yeah, don't get me wrong. Like, uh, if I'm ever elected commissioner of college football, it's because uh, all all the... uh, the suits have ruined the the game and they need me to come in and fix it. Um, But until that happens, financially, everybody's going to look out for, for the best and the big 10 teams, they're already locking in a super lucrative deal with Fox. So they're already getting $70 million a year. Why would I risk, you know, based on a, on a poor season, why would I risk all all that revenue coming in? So it, yeah, it would never happen, but it is fun to, to, to play pretend
2: absolutely yeah you're right not to not to
0: you know put down all your ideas but this is a a far out idea Brandon (laughs) I I mean yeah it, it is blowing everything up which I I think is is fun to tinker around with and and I and I hope if we ever do get a college football game that there's an opportunity to really really get creative with stuff like this
1: yeah I can't even imagine how much work went into this, but this was awesome.